on? What is up? My name is Kevin Wu and I'm an online fitness coach who helps men in their 20s lose weight and get asked for the first time through mindset, nutrition, and training. That's enough about me. Let's get right into today's episode. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Live to Inspire Podcast. It is Tuesday. That means I hang out with my clients on a Zoom call and we discuss over a couple of topics. Today, we're discussing about proper body mechanics, recommended amount of protein powder intake versus food, how to avoid over-drinking. You know you got an alcoholic problem? Well, watch this. Well, listen to this. Also, how to improve sleeping. What's a good pre-workout to replace any drinks? Let's find out. Today, we're going to dive into the first one, basically body mechanics. So what is a body mechanic? Um, it's basically kind of breaking down the form, which kind of looking for in a certain exercise. So let's go talk about squats first. Basically, kind of want to start with like the your feet shoulder width kind of parts the back straight and your core engaged, right? So it's kind of first couple cues itself. And when we engage is usually it's like a, you brace, right? So imagine that if someone was trying to like punch you, right? That initial reaction you would have, that's basically what you do with your core. When you kind of set up for the squat and just about to go for that squat over there, that's basically what bracing kind of means. And that's the exact same concept you would do for a squat if you try to maximize output, AKA push more weights. Uh, bend your knees and your hips and uh, keeping your weights basically on your heels. Now, when you press up, I like to think about keeping in like a tripod method. So your feet was like kind of like this. You have, you're pressing off the bottom of the heel and then your ball of your foot and the outside of the foot. You're focusing on three pricey uh, basically points on your feet when you actually press up. That's going to give you the most amount of output in terms of when you actually drop up. So that's what I like to think about itself. And sometimes when you do that, it's almost like your your toes kind of like curl up. But that's kind of normal. Now, basically, you want to lower yourself until your thighs are parallel to the ground or even kind of lower itself. Um, and that kind of aspect, some of the lower, I can go very, very low. I just have the hips for that one. It's a lot of Asians do have that. It's more of a genetic kind of thing. Some people can't. You want to go to the point basically where it's comfortable and you're not having a butt wink. So what about a butt wink is uh, it's, it's all kind of hard, I see more of a just auditory standpoint if I could demonstrate. But if you're basically, your butt kind of like winks and kind of like rounds in this sense, then that's like a butt wink and that's generally where you kind of want to stop because if you guys didn't go any further than that, that butt wink basically indicates that most of the pressure is going to your lower back, right? So you want to push up with pretty much tripod method and that kind of aspect. Now, lateral dumbbell raise, these are the specific kind of exercises that was in that question over there. The check it forms, that's why I'm going over these ones. Basically holding the dumbbell to your chest with basically palms facing towards your body, feet shoulder width apart, keeping your back. Basically, I like to lean forward a little bit in that aspect, probably like on 30 degrees. And then I like to raise my arms, pretty much think about nice long arms, driving my elbows to like the corner of the room. And until pretty much the dumbbells come to like about shoulder width, I mean shoulder level, then I come down nice and slow over there. So that's a dumbbell lowries. Now, what that kind of lean forward does itself and also holding dumbbells, and bring the dumbbells more that what we call the scapular plane. So it's down in front, it's on dirt to the side. It's like in between those ones. So that's what we call the scapular plane. That's going to help you isolate that lateral delt, which is what gets you more of that broad kind of shoulder look. And if you guys are looking for that look itself, that's what's really going to help, right? All right. Last one is the bench press. So I'm going to hold basically the bar outside shoulder width because I remember one of my clients self, he was uh, questioning kind of the programming. He's like, why do I have? flat demo press and a closed grip demo press like is not all over left i'm like no the bench press the flat double bench press is going to isolate more of your chest and then the closed grip bench press is going to focus on your tricep 
right? So the reason why is because of your elbow positioning. When I only put our hands outside the shoulder with the parts, and then our elbows are pretty much like coming down like a 45 kind of degrees itself, that's gonna bias more of the chest. Now, if you basically tuck your elbows in, that's gonna be basically extension, that's gonna be most of your triceps. So that's gonna be playing a big important parts and how we kind of hold the bar. Now, if you really flare your elbows out, that's not gonna be great for your your uh, chest. It's just gonna damage your shoulders in a bad way, right? Now, with the bench press, you do wanna have your feet in a certain way if you really wanna maximize output. And when I say output is basically lifting out the most amount of weight possible, is you bring your feet backward, right? And then you point your toes out, right? So back and out. So what that does is basically it kind of contracts your glutes, squeeze your glutes a little bit. And when we have squeeze your glutes like that, it's going to create a more stable position for your body to press off. Because anytime you want to lift the most amount of weight, uh, you want to be the most stable position possible because that's what's going to give you the most amount of output. So by doing this feedback, toes out, your glutes are stable, your upper body is more stable because you set up in a way you're going to be able to lift more weights. Now, as you come down, think about basically bringing your shoulder blades together. That's going to engage more chest muscles. You kind of think about bringing the full weights together like this. Uh, it's basically going to lengthen the chest as you do that. If you don't do that, it's going to involve a lot more shoulders, right? And you want to think about basically bringing the bar to below kind of nipple level itself and pushing like back and up towards more of your, your upper kind of chest. So it's a slight kind of almost like a J curve, what they people kind of call it. But if you guys pressing straight up, it's not, it's okay, but there's a better way to kind of do it. And I'm always trying to focus on maximize results, maximize my output, and just doing the most possible. So basically pushing, upping it below the nipple, pushing it back and up or towards the upper chest. That's basically the bar path itself. All right. So anybody has any questions on that, you can let me know itself. I'm not going to ask like more of a videos watching that one probably make kind of more sense uh, over there. All right. So. Recommend amount of protein powder versus food intake. Now, I do want to really talk about and emphasize that protein powder is a supplement. It's a supplement and it's called a supplement for a reason, right? So it's your supplement and not your diet. Some people kind of overdo this one. Like I've had a couple clients in the past itself because they basically just follow the macros and literally like every single meal, they'd have like two scoops of protein and then they had like a protein bar with every meal and that was a whole diet, right? I was like... This, this is not what I have on your meal plan itself. Uh, yes, we're getting close to your macros in terms of protein goal intake, but this is not supposed to be your diet. And there's a reason for that, right? Now, protein powder is a very high quality. It has, the reason why it's high quality is because it has amino called leucine, and that's basically the strongest one to trigger muscle protein synthesis. But protein powder, at the end of the day, it's not the whole foods, and it is a lot faster digesting. It's not going to have the same micronutrients too as well. It's not going to be as filling, right? So it has some micronutrients, but it doesn't have like same as let's just say you eat something ground beef, uh, some ground turkey or some chicken or something that they all have different kind of micronutrients, which is something that are going to be a lot different when you have protein powder, but they're also not going to be very filling. And if you guys are cutting down for most, most guys in here, it's, you're going to feel very fucking hungry, right? If you just have protein powder, and there's a reason why I cut off my protein powder pretty much near the end of my prep for bodybuilding shows is because it's not very filling. Yes, absolutely amazing. Yes, fast digesting. But especially as a near the end of my bodybuilding prep, I get so fucking hungry. And just removing that protein powder helps out a little bit, right? Now, I remember reading or listening to a podcast. Well, welcome, Donna. Uh, listening 
listening to a podcast the other day itself. It was due to pretty much being in a cut and how to feel more satiated, right? So it's not necessarily the calories that are going to fill you up, but it's the amount of food. So let me give you an example. Like they give an example. If you're used to eating a half pound burger and that normally fills you up, if you pretty much just had, let's just say a quarter pound burger now, but filled up the remaining of that half poundlets or like other quarter pound with lettuce, tomato, and more lettuce stuff in that with onion and tomato, something like that, to make it that same size and volume of that half pound, it would fill you up just as much. So it's not necessarily the calories, the amount of food is what fills you up. It's the volume of the amount of food. Because you think about it too as well, your stomach is only a certain size. I know, Josh, you got that gastric sleeve surgery. So, you know, you probably know about the amount of food you have to intake and how more frequently you have to eat to kind of manage to get that in. But it's all about the kind of like the volume of that food itself and not the calories. So if you, let's just say, ate a pizza, right? That's very calorie dense. And then maybe that'd be like 2,000 calories, you ate the whole thing, a medium one. Versus let's just say you had, um, let's make it like really simple, like a salad bowl, but it was like the same amount of size. That salad bowl with the chicken in it, maybe be like 250 calories, something like that. And versus that whole pizza, which is like 2000 calories, right? And they both fill you up not the same. Your body would signal them as the same thing. Be like, wow, I'm just as full, right? So it's, cra- it's pretty cool to kind of see that aspect. And that is something that didn't really click with me as much, but I just kind of did it more subconsciously. So especially when I do start cutting down more is I use like more egg whites because it's very low calorie and just pure protein, but it's a lot more kind of volume itself because I personally don't like salads and I've only probably ate like one salad in my life and we hope never again. So I just use egg whites, a lot more egg whites itself and just have that volume, that density and also boost up my protein intake too as well. And also fill it with a lot more vegetables too as well. So normally if I'm let's say bulking or maintaining, I'd have like half the amount of vegetables, but when I'm cutting, I would double or triple the amount of vegetables itself. It'd be like no, no calories in that kind of aspect or very, very low calories and make me feel more full and just the amount of volume of that food because my overall calories are decreasing. But let's just say I had a meal with 200 grams of chicken breast, 200 grams of rice and 85 grams of broccoli before. But now let's say I ate 200 grams of broccoli and I had like the no rice and then I had a, let's say 250 grams of chicken breast. Like that'd probably be around the same volume in terms of like amount of food wise as with the rice. And I'd feel just probably as full, right? So hopefully that kind of makes sense over there. It's that volume of the food, not necessarily the calories of that kind of food itself. Now, there also are foods that will make you feel more full, help you satiate a little bit better, like steak versus ground beef, right? Because ground beef is already turned up. It's already ground. It's pre-digested versus steak. You have to cut it up, which takes a little while to eat that so you can just stuff it down but b it also takes a lot more chewing especially if like a well-done steak right so that chewing process is going to make you feel more full because it's going to signal to your brain it's like okay you know all this chewing is you know it's it's making me feel more make me feel more full now so hopefully that all makes sense over there uh but basically some back to the question to recommend amount of protein powder versus food intake i'd cap it out at 90 grams of protein powder per day so let's just say that's like three scoops because usually ones get protein powder is 30 grams. I tap this out at that. So um, I wouldn't use any more. I personally right now, I'm using 40 grams a day right now of the protein powder, even though I got bags on bags on bags on bags and bags of it. So that means you guys should not be doing that. <laughs> All right. So that being said, how to avoid 
over drinking. That's the next topic. If you guys have questions on the last one, I just drop it down in the chat box or you can unmute yourself. I will be happy to answer that, help you out further. All right, how to avoid over drinking. Now, this is a thing that I found pretty interesting because I personally never had this problem itself, but I've seen a lot of my friends in the past kind of have this. Also experienced clients who had this kind of problem too as well. And obviously there are what we call alcoholics, people who are like, you know, go to Alcoholics Anonymous and have those kind of problems. So obviously it's a real problem. Now, so let's talk about it. Basically setting limits for yourself itself is something that I personally really did when I was in this little drinking phase, because I did have a small drinking phase probably for like four months itself. But then I was like, I, I basically stopped cold turkey, which is why I have like 12 bottles still sitting on my wall and I haven't touched them since. <laughs> so basically set limits for yourself. Basically before you start drinking, I would be like, okay, I'm going to cap out I five shots. Like that was it, right? So I decided predetermined how many shots I am going to have. That's a limit wise. And I just cap myself out and I'll kind of lean into some other points because there are some other things that kind of go with it. Now it can be helpful to have that plan in place before you start drinking itself. Just like having like a meal plan. If you know what's exactly to eat, it's not like, okay, can I have this or will I have this itself? It's like, no, I'm just having one person on my plan. Right? So it makes it very straightforward. So with that being said, uh, pace yourself, drinking too quickly can definitely lead to over drinking. I know a lot of my friends, first thing they did when they got the party was just like, okay, here's three shots and just try to get everything down as quickly as possible. And yes, you could guess that they probably blacked out or over the toilet and that was over drinking, right? So take your time, sip and just sip your drink kind of slowly over there and, you know, spread out your shots, right? So you don't have to take all the shots all at once if you are taking shots itself and that kind of aspect. And next it would be alternating alcohol, non-alcoholic drinks. So let's say you're drinking kind of water or like soda or something out non-alcoholic in between your alcoholic drinks can definitely help slow you down your alcohol intake while make you feel like, you know, it's lasting a longer time. Cause I know a lot of people like to just have that alcoholic drink or some drink in hand or can feel awkward when they don't have it. So if you guys let's say alternate between them, it could definitely kind of extend that time. Let's say you are at the party or kind of feel like you're still there and not missing on the experience when they call it. All right. Choose lower alcohol options. I know I talked about this over and over again itself. Also, like those mixed drinks, like kind of mentioned in previous ones, right? So you could do like light beers, even like wine, spritzers, or other mixed drinks itself with lower alcohol ingredients are always kind of great options in that kind of regards. Lastly, I do want to talk about this one. Probably is the biggest one is the most people or most people over drink because it's one reason, and that's peer pressure, right? Now, don't let others... Uh, pressure you into drinking more than you're comfortable with or you kind of set that limit too I know that'd be hard for some of you itself but it's okay right to stick with your kind of own limits and truly when you do kind of stick with your own limits itself you you learn about yourself more but it's also it's easier to say no the next time around right because if you don't learn how to say no now and the next time comes around and you don't learn how to say no the next time it's just going to keep happening over and over again and there's a reason why that maybe you've gained a lot of weight in the past or have overdrank over and over and over again is because you just didn't learn how to say no, right? And that was a big thing with me kind of a, even right now with bodybuilding side of things, I didn't ask, I went to eat a lot, but also my girl, current girlfriend bakes a lot of freaking stuff, <laughs> brings a lot of stuff. And I always always say kind of no, right? And yes, I she doesn't make really good baking, but just learning to say no in that kind of regards. But also when I was in the partying phase, it just... 
it or it wasn't or got out of it, but still go to like those let's say parties and try to enjoy without drinking, I would always get offered and I would just say no, right? So at one point you just have to learn to say no as well. And that's something you have to be okay with because ultimately end of the day, it's your goals. It's your like what do you want, right? And if you don't learn how to say no right now, you're not gonna basically learn next time, right? So at some point you do have to stick up for yourself or you do have to say that no itself. And some people might be like, oh, you're no fun. You know, you're something like that or kind of comment on it because it's, it's kind of really strange where it's like um, bringing healthy food, let's just say something like that meal prepping is almost seen as like weird or uncommon. Like, you know, going for all these drinks and getting hammered and getting drunk is it's common. It's a normal, right? So I find that kind of really weird in that regards. But at the end of the day, that's kind of like the society, what they kind of deemed it as. But at the end of the day, it's your goals, it's your body, and it's what you want, right? And those choices that you have made in the past have got you to your body, also your health uh, right now. So if you want to change those things, ultimately you have to change uh, at the end of the day. And I know one person definitely going to nominate in this one is Scott. Because I remember Scott, when you first came to me, you definitely had a lot of alcohol or weekend, but then you kind of tapered back. And then we pretty much like stopped because you naturally saw those changes in your body. And you're like, holy shit, like, I just want to see how far I could take this. So I want to give you big props on that one. If you want to speak on that, Scott, or any experiences, I would love for you to have yourself and touch on that because I think it'd be helpful. Yeah, uh, for sure. Like, yeah, when I first met you, I was drinking a lot. Like, every weekend, binge drinking all the time. And then, you know, I slowly tapered off. And I saw that after I quit drinking as much, which I didn't like to stop culture. You know, I still drink on the weekends. I have one or two beards. But then I started limiting myself. You know, instead of drinking maybe like until I was blacked out drunk, you know, I'd limit for like maybe three, four beers, hang out with my buddies and then go home because, you know, I really didn't want my Sundays and Saturdays just to be a waste of days, you know, recovering. I started working out more on the weekends, which that helped me uh, not drink as much at night. So I'd wake up in the mornings and made sure that, you know, I was like not hungover and go work out Saturday mornings. So automatically my Friday nights became you know, not much drinking at all, because if I drank too much, I wouldn't be able to wake up for a 7 a.m. like workout session. And Sunday, I used it as like a recovery day. And if I was like hungover, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't recover. So, you know, naturally, I've been just moving away from alcohol because I'm just like, you know, the results I'm getting and how much uh, better I'm getting in the gym has overcome like any entertainment that alcohol had before on me. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you for sharing that, Scott. So, yeah, I definitely remember all that itself. You know, a lot of drinking, you were kind of like struggling there and cutting back itself three to four, and then hitting those workouts itself the next day, you're noticing that impact. So that's awesome, man, that you kind of really took that step and you're like, okay, now I'm just going to cut that out. And, Matt, you've been crushing it and crushing it and just took it to the next level, man. And that would definitely wouldn't have happened if you hadn't really made those changes, eh? All right, so with that being said, we're going to move on to the next one. So that was Scott's kind of view on that one too as well. I know he worked uh, really hard and crushing it, so I'm super proud of him. All right, so next one is we had improved sleeping. I'm pretty sure, Scott, you brought up this one because uh, I know you also have been hard time kind of sleeping, falling asleep in that aspect, and we're kind of trying to find that sleep routine. But we're going to kind of talk a little bit more about this one is – I would say first is sticking to like a consistent sleep schedule 
it can definitely kind of help you out just based off like a circadian rhythm standpoint it's like what time you wake up what time you go to sleep that can definitely kind of help you when you kind of really build that out in that kind of aspect because i definitely notice like when i kind of have that thrown off it's definitely kind of throws me off a little bit from the next in a couple days usually now uh creating a sleep conductive environment so making sure your bedroom is cool because most people actually sleep better when it's cooler itself so if it's like let's say summer really hot itself if you have some vans or turn on the ac where it's nice and cool itself and you have your pretty much the temperature of the rooms you know lighter than your body weights also make sure it's dark and quiet right because when you have light in your room it's going to kind of signal it's like okay it's not exactly kind of sleep time you know it's light outside that's why we wake up in the morning or sometimes we don't even alarm clock and we have the light right away it's like okay let's wake up it's because that light signal is big right so i personally wear a sleep mask itself just to kind of counter that because I was supposed to have blackout curtains, but like my blackout curtains are not very blackout. I was like, oh, sweet. And we could definitely see on camera turn it. But it's super light. Like I, when I go to sleep, I... All right. You know, basically whenever I go to sleep, it's just so much light in my room. I'm like this is not blackout curtains. So I basically wear an eye mask and that helps me get that blackness itself. And I definitely noticed that really, really helped me out because that light makes a big difference. Uh, and also quiet. Like even I experienced experimented with earplugs because i noticed that um like even because i cranked my window open itself and usually my apartment is pretty soundproof like the windows closed when i have my window open just to get the fresh air itself like i hear quite a bit of things and i remember one night i remember hearing people scream like 3 a.m i'm like geez and i didn't have my earplugs in that night so i was like oh man i had the worst night's sleep probably all right, but yeah, experience with the earplugs definitely can help me out even with that kind of aspect, especially when my window's open for that fresh air. So make sure it's quiet. That's basically the bottom line itself in that aspect. So cool, dark, quiet. Those are probably the biggest three for the environment kind of wise would help you a lot, right? Even falling asleep, staying asleep, uh, both ends. Now, next one is going to be limit your exposure to screens, more like blue light kind of before bedtime. So blue light is something that's emitted off of TVs, your phone screen, or your laptop. I personally have this setting on my phone, my laptop, to pretty much have my blue light off 24-7, off so all day, every day itself, just so I could, while well, I'm kind of used to it, it looks kind of weird when you first kind of do it, because people comment all the time on my screen, like, your phone looks different. I'm like, yeah, the, the blue light kind of setting over there on that kind of aspect. And I personally, it's really normal to me now itself, but like, I definitely kind of notice because I'm on my screens for a much large portion of my day. So even with that, it's that would probably mess up my kind of sleep cycle, but also just probably mess up some other things too as well. I think I, none, yeah. All right, so avoiding caffeine and alcohol in the hours leading up to bedtime can help you out too as well. So usually for caffeine-wise, I don't take anything after 2 p.m. I know the half-life of caffeine is kind of pretty long, so I can't remember the exact kind of number itself, but basically... I'll see, search up. So what in the half-life, it is five hours. Okay, so if you took like um, 200 milligrams, after five hours, there's gonna be 100 milligrams left in your body. But then after another half, five hours, after that, it's gonna be 50 milligrams. Another half, five hours later, it's gonna be 25 milligrams. So you could see pretty much within, by the time, let's say you get to bed and you took like, let's say, um, caffeine at 2 p.m. and it was like 10 p.m. itself, it'd probably be a good like 70, 70 milligrams kind of still there. And that maybe 70 milligrams, it took it out of 2 p.m. itself. 
might throw off how you kind of sleep, break this caffeine uh, stimulant, and that's going to make you want to be more awake. As far as alcohol goes itself, it it can affect your kind of sleep too as well. Um, all right. Now, lastly, is going to be relaxation techniques can definitely can help you out because one of the big things I remember watching this video itself on YouTube before it was how to the kind of like how the the Navy SEALs something like that fall asleep in like thirty seconds. And I remember trying to practice that routine over and over again, and then at one point I really nailed it down. I could just kind of fall asleep pretty easily, but it was just like thinking about okay i'm gonna relax like my eyebrows like you have to close your eyes and like you really have to think about it it's like, okay relax your face muscles you relax my eyebrows and you think about relaxing your nose and then relax your mouth and you go down pretty much your body say like, okay relax my arms down relax shoulders and by the time you kind of get back to your toes like usually knocked out but other things like um deep breathing meditation yoga can possibly kind of help you out too as well deep breathing is usually a good one in the aspect of let's just say you are maybe stressed or running around all day, deep breathing literally just slows down your heart rate, right? Because when you're sleeping, your heart rate's not bumping, right? So it's a calm state when you're actually in that. So when you force yourself to deep breathe and calm your heart rate down, you're kind of like getting closer into that state where you're asleep, right? So hopefully I kind of ask some questions, kind of helps you out a little bit on that kind of aspect. All right. Let's go talk about the last one is what makes a good pre-workouts uh, to replace energy. Actually, I want to know if anybody has some other sleeping tips or nice sleeping routine for themselves that they found really kind of worked. Maybe uh, Josh, maybe you have one itself. No, and the, the stuff I do doesn't make sense because before I changed my workout schedule, if I was working out until 11 o'clock at night, and I would actually drink an energy drink before as my pre-workout. Oh, geez. And I had no issues going to sleep. Uh, and now it's, I mean, now I work out at about 3.45 every day. And I mean, I just, I, I, I am on a schedule now, which uh, I think has helped out a lot. Um, I'm definitely getting more sleep now. Um, I would just say getting a routine down and doing your best to stick to it. Yes, like a routine. Uh, do you mean like a sleep routine or just like a workout? Like a routine leading up to bedtime. Like um, typically like at 9 o'clock, I'm taking my nighttime supplements. I go take a shower and then I get in bed. And then I have uh, a ring and uh, our bed kind of tells you what's going on. So normally like if I, if I stayed in my routine of, you know, at 9 o'clock taking my supplements, getting in the shower, getting in bed, Normally, I'm asleep within 10 minutes of getting a bit. Yeah, oh, that's really good then. All right, so have a routine, doing the same things, kind of leaning up the bed. And what kind of, you found out help, right? Awesome. All right, so that being said, thank you for sharing that over here, Joshua. Lastly, we're going to talk about a good pre-workout to replace any drinks. I know you just talked about having any drinks before. Uh, I'm not sure you still do itself before your workouts, but... Black coffee could be a good one itself. If you guys want to use, like, not a pre-workout, can, like a pre-workout, pre-workout, as in the supplement kind of form. Like, I know as black coffee is usually giving a really, really good workouts, even though the caffeine concentration might not be as high as like a pre-workout, I just kind of hit a little bit different. I just use a black coffee in that aspect. Um, green tea could be a good one, just to get the amount of caffeine I have from personal experience with that one, but just based on the caffeine kind of contents and other compounds kelp focus and endurance-wise. But in terms of like actual pre-workout supplement wise, this is probably 
guess is what the question was answering or asking in this regards is what I kind of look for in a pre-workout is pretty simple because I used to work at a supplement store and I studied basically like all the ingredients, like, cause I first when I worked at a supplement store, I'm like, how the hell am I going to know every single product? Right. Cause everything has a different name and that kind of regard and like what they do, but it's actually really simple when you actually look in the ingredients of what the products are, you know, all the products, what they do, right? Because it all comes down to the ingredients in that aspect, even though each one might be marketed differently. Like, let's just say this pre-workout's like, okay, we are focus-based. Okay. This pre-workout's energy-based, right? You just look at the ingredients. You could be like, okay, is this actually so, or how much to make sense? Is it because of the dosages? Hopefully that kind of makes sense over there. All right. But that's basically how I was able to learn every single product itself. Even if like it was a brand new product, because I just look at the ingredients, I'm like, oh, this does this, right? All right. So based on the pre-workout, we're going to be looking for, I would say three to four milligrams per kilogram of caffeine itself. So, or if you don't drink any, any other caffeinated beverages, I would do 1.5 to 2 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So if I'm like hundred kilograms, aka like 220 pounds, I'd probably look towards like 300 milligrams, 400 milligrams of caffeine itself on that regards but if you don't drink coffee or don't really use any caffeine products or your first time i would lean more towards 1.5 to 2 milligrams in that kind of regards because you always want to lower on you want to start at the lower end of the dosing right because you always taper up but if you, you want to taper down it doesn't really have that same kind of effects right there's a tolerance to that all right next is be beta alanine so 1.6 grams to 3.2 grams in that kind of regards now these are all basically I really only look. I really only look for three ingredients when it comes to pre-workout because these are usually like the most top three effective ones: caffeine, beta alanine, and citrulline malate. So beta alanine is one I'm referring to now. One point six grams to three point two grams. Usually this refers to as like the tingles. So if you ever felt some tingly feeling when you took a pre-workout, this is what that does, right? And citrulline malate usually helps more towards like the higher end rep ranges. If you guys like to say doing an AMRAP as many reps as possible, or hitting like 15, 20 reps or plus that. This could help shuttle out uh, what we call the hydrogen ion. So hydrogen ion is what makes you feel that burn. Like if you ever felt that burn when you're working out and you're like, oh my God, I have to keep pushing it. This can help shuttle it out and help you get maybe like a few more reps and turn those few more reps because you're not, you can fight through that burn a little easier. It might achieve more muscle growth, right? So it's not going to directly help you grow the muscle, but by doing more reps, causing more muscle tension, that's what helps you grow more muscle. All right, lastly is citrulline malate. It's basically more of like a blood flow pump kind of product itself. It helps deliver more of that um, blood to that kind of muscle. And that kind of help, it could help in more of a recovery kind of standpoint, but also just feeling more of that pump in that kind of regards. All right. So hopefully uh, that, answer, that answers basically all of the questions that. Thank you guys for tuning into the Live to Inspire podcast, the number one podcast for men in the 20s trying to lose weight and get abs for the first time. My mission is to inspire others to be the best version of themselves to fitness. So if you guys are tuning into this episode and want to lose weight and get your abs showing for the very first time, then DM me the words abs on Instagram at Kevin Wu underscore. That is K-E-V-I-N-W-U-W underscore. And we'll have a chat whether or not I can help you out lose that weight to get your abs showing for the first time. That is the ending of today's episode of the Live to Inspire podcast. If you learned something today, then make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss out on an episode. Also, if you leave a written review on this podcast, that'd be greatly appreciated because that pushes this podcast to more people just like you.